0: Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, get with your Wednesday Night Wars edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast, and we're not just talking AEW and NXT, this week is a special edition of this podcast, as we will have the ultimate preview for NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day coming up this Sunday on the WWE Network. And not only that, NXT Superstar, former NXT UK women's champion and May Young Classic winner, Tony Storm is in the house to go one-on-one with the Silver King. It was a great interview. I cannot wait for all of you to hear that. Before we get to NXT, before we get to AEW, you guys know the drill. We gotta take care of business right off the top of the show. So let's take care of it. Number one, head on over to Twitter. Give us a follow at Getting Overcast. Very simple. We tweet out every episode, a ton of fun wrestling stuff throughout the entire week. We are a good follow. And since we're your favorite wrestling podcast, You might as well follow us. So if you don't have a Twitter account, make one. If you have one already, great. At Getting Overcast, do not forget to follow us there. Also, for longtime listeners or people giving us a listen for the very first time, once you're done with this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love the show. Let us know how much you love our interviews. Just let me know, The Silver King, how much you love me. I need some love. It's early in 2021. It's been a difficult year, you know, to get going here. Uh, Let's keep the love up. Let's keep the excitement level going on the road to WrestleMania as we enter year two of this podcast, which will be right around March. We debuted in March last year. So, okay, that's enough of an intro. Let's get on to the show. The way this episode of Getting Over is going to work is we are going to end up starting with AEW because we have so much NXT stuff to discuss. I want to keep it all together at the end of the show. So, if you are a listener who happens to only be interested in NXT or a listener only interested in AEW, head on over to the description of this podcast. We have timestamps for every single segment. We'll have a timestamp for the AEW Dynamite Talk, we'll have a timestamp for the NXT TakeOver Ultimate Preview, and we will have one as well for the Tony Storm interview. I hope you guys listen to the entire show. You should because both products are great but I know some of you are very particular. So with that all said, we are going to start with AEW Dynamite. And the main topic to discuss is the main event of the show for a second straight week. AEW really delivered, not just on the entire episode of Dynamite, but in particular, the main event. We had Kenny Omega and Kenta going up against Jon Moxley and Lance Archer in a Falls Count Anywhere match. Excalibur, uh, talked about Kenta knocking down the forbidden door like three times throughout this match, which it's such a totally dorky thing playing into the internet wrestling community and, and that that trite phrase that's now been going around for it feels like six months to a year. But w- whatever, I guess AEW does cater to those fans. It's fine, but like Excalibur, you got it out there three times. We don't need to do it every single time now we see Kenta or someone else on AEW television. Uh, Moxley had the IWGP United States Championship in the parking lot. He cut a really strong promo on Kenta before the match. Alex Marvis found Omega at the golf course where Don Callis was cheating for Omega. It was a pretty funny segment. Uh, Nothing really worth describing, but entertaining everything leading into the match. As far as the match goes, Kenta came out with his briefcase as the number one contender for the IWGP US Championship, and Moxley came out with the title. And this really felt like a big time match. Everyone tore each other apart. Action was top tier. Omega hit a moonsault with a trash can onto Mox and Kenta then hit a missile dropkick with the cam. Archer slammed Omega. He was standing on top of the ringside barrier. Choke slammed him off of it onto this heart bed that I guess Peter Avalon uses. Yeah, you heard that right. Uh, Mox and Kenta wound up in the kitchen and fought on a stainless steel table until Archer hit Kenta with a box of potatoes and then Mox used a potato as a weapon. Then everyone basically made their way back to ringside. Omega hit Mox with a few V-triggers. Kenta was fighting with Archer, then suddenly, out of nowhere, jumped off the stage to hit a coup de grace on Mox, who was sitting on top of the timekeeper's table. It was a really sick spot, not only because it was unexpected, but the table didn't break, so you know that definitely had to hurt Mox a bit. Archer hit his tightrope moonsault on Omega. The Good Brothers came down, and Carl Anderson hit Archer with God's done. And then freaking Jake Roberts was allowed to start bumping, which didn't love that. But Omega went to V-trigger him. Mox beat all three of them with a barbed wire bat instead. Kenta hit Mox would go to sleep. And Archer got triple teamed with a magic killer, V-trigger, and assisted one winged angel to end the match with Kenny Omega winning. So AEW once again had the match of the night across both shows in its main event that has not always been the case recently. But definitely the last two weeks, AEW has fully delivered in the main event. Everyone in this match individually delivered. If I was booking it, I probably would have cut the kitchen part of the match. I think it slowed things down unnecessarily. They didn't need to go to that length. So much great stuff was happening in and around the ring and ringside area. They could have just stuck with that. But other than that, this thing was pitch perfect and did a great job building multiple feuds. It actually created a lot of momentum for Omega Archer as a feud. And I'm not sure what they're going to do for Revolution for the AEW Championship. It seemed like they were going to go back to Omega against Moxley. But if they want to give that a little bit more air, and since AEW doesn't like to do rematches so quickly, I would like to see Omega Archer in that spot. The problem you run into if you do that is, man, Archer just loses everything. Like he never gets to build upon stuff and actually win. So do you really put him in a spot there with... Kenny Omega, where he's going to lose the match and another title opportunity. I think that's a difficult decision. So AEW is definitely going to have to think that through. A DM came in from Pastor Yoda at REEB82. He said, AEW has done a great job keeping Moxley hot after dropping the AEW title. This angle fits him. I agree. I do think they're lucking out a bit that they were able to make a deal with New Japan to use Kenta and have this going because this feels fresh. The stuff with Moxley just continuing to go after Omega is not that dissimilar from what another organization would do in the same circumstance, but the ability to integrate Kenta and now have Archer in this tag team match and weave all these pieces together with the good brothers and Don Callis, it does have Mox remaining fresh without the title. I said this when Mox lost the title. He's better, in, and this was true in WWE also throughout his entire career. Mox was always better chasing than actually being the champion. So that's maybe one of the reasons why it feels so fresh and feels so entertaining. It's because this is where he's at his best. As a face, trying to go after a champion that wronged him. And and you're seeing that come to fruition. So really good stuff in the AEW main event. Uh, And there were probably two or three more things on the show that were truly top tier. Everything else on AEW Dynamite was, you know, mediocre, but that's how you make a show. Some great stuff, some good stuff, some mediocre stuff, and you have a very good show. So let's move over to the inner circle angle that they're running. Uh, Sammy Guevara demanded to speak to MJF one-on-one in the inner circle locker room. And AEW did a really smart thing where Sammy gave the cameraman express permission to stay as a reason for being there. So you're not wondering why did everyone else have to leave, but the cameraman's there. So that was really smart. But I'll tell you why it wasn't in a minute. Sammy said it was clear MJF was trying to take over Inner Circle, and MJF said Sammy is just upset because he wants to take over Inner Circle himself because he hates Chris Jericho. Sammy saw MJF was voice recording him, smashed his phone, and kicked him in the gut. But I'm not sure why Sammy was worried about being voice recorded, when again he just told the cameraman to stay, so all of it would have been on videotape and it would have been completely obvious that he was being sarcastic. So they, they, they on one hand, were really smart with having the cameraman stay and, and breaking the fourth wall and doing all that. But on the other hand, it didn't play into the storyline. It made absolutely no sense. So I did have to point that out. We got a match, Chris Jericho and MJF against the Acclaimed. Before the match, MJF showed up with taped ribs and complained to Jericho that Sammy broke his ribs. All of Inner Circle except Sammy hit the ring. I know a lot of people like the Acclaimed, but there's something about them that It just feels fake and forced to me. And that's not to take away from their ability in the ring, but the gimmick and everything about both of them, it just feels manufactured. It feels very WWE in some ways. You know, it's almost the opposite of something like an Enzo and Cass, which felt very natural, like it came together. This seems like they're trying to do that, but in a very scripted, forced way. But if people liked them, then that's fine. I think they're fun in the ring. Um, the gimmick is just not for me. The look, the gimmick, it's I don't really like it. Uh, Santana and Ortiz came in for a distraction and Anthony Bowen and Jericho with his boombox on a Lion Salt attempt for a near fall. Jake Hager pushed Max Caster off the top rope and Jericho hit Judas Effect for the win. Don't have much to say about the match. It was fine. Uh, Sammy Guevara came down after the match and Jericho criticized him for not being there for Inner Circle. Sammy said he warned Jericho back in December If one more thing happened with MJF, he was gone. He was out of Inner Circle. And then he quit on the spot, saying he needed a break. It was a really strong moment for Sammy. You guys know I'm a huge fan of his. I believe he has an exceedingly bright future. It was also a good piece of booking across the entire first hour of the show. Sammy walked through the baby face tunnel on the way out, which was very telling and a nice touch to the the storyline. So very bullish on all of that. Matt Hardy offered Hangman Page an opportunity to celebrate their win from last week, no strings attached, all expenses paid at the bar. Page accepted, and as he was leaving the backstage area, ran into Dark Order, where John Silver got all nervous, like an ex-boyfriend, seeing him go out with another guy. It was really hysterical stuff. Hangman said something about like, oh, I need to go get my phone, but then he took his phone out and started texting. Everyone was flustered. It was really funny. John Silver is truly hysterical. Later, they were at the bar, and Matt was dumping drinks, basically, so he was pretending to drink them and be drunk, but he was dumping them on the side. He proposed to drunk Hangman that he sign a deal and allow Matt to take 30%, and Hangman did it. He signed the papers. Uh, Hardy broke the fourth wall and told the camera he wanted the camera there, so Hangman can't weasel out of it when he sobers up. Again, another good reason for AEW to show, hey, this is why the camera's here. We're not just making believe the camera doesn't exist. And in this case, it was better, but to do it twice in one episode, it did feel like a lot of, hey, hey, we're smart, you know, so maybe just keep it to once an episode or something like that. But what the camera actually showed, and from what I understand, a lot of people missed is Hangman actually switched out the contracts with a different piece of paper he had in his back pocket. So he signed something else, gave it to Matt. Matt was all excited, left right away. Hangman stayed there and drink. So I'm definitely curious to see how this moves forward. But this does feel like a nice in-between storyline for Hangman. We are all expecting him to eventually mount up and move into that main event. And when he wins the AEW championship, that be a really huge moment. I'm now starting to wonder if that comes this year against Kenny Omega, who maybe thwarts a rematch with Mox and beats Archer or whatever they end up doing with him. And maybe at a big show later in the year, Double or Nothing, for example, that's finally Hangman Page's moment where he sobers up, he comes to this realization and puts it all together and wins the AEW title. Maybe it's gonna be longer term than that, but it's already been an extended storyline. So I would really like to see this come to fruition sooner than later, but it is good and it is entertaining. Uh, The TNT Championship was on the line in the opener for the show. Darby Allen defeated Joey Janela. This was a nice surprise of a match with more technical wrestling than I expected. Darby drilled Janela with a tope suicida, but it was like a bullet. It was crazy. Darby hit an avalanche code red for a near fall and then the coffin drop for a relatively easy win. Despite it being an exciting match, They totally delivered a strong opener and that did Janela pretty well. I was glad to see him get some shine there. Hopefully they use him more. I don't understand why they aren't. Uh, Sting came out for another interview later in the show with Tony Schiavone and before Sting could even speak, guess what folks, Team Taz interrupted once again on the big screen. They showed Darby Allen in a body bag tied by a rope to an SUV and Team Taz drove off with him in tow. I truly dare you guys to tell me I'm wrong that this shit is not repetitive and explain why you like it. Even though this was a tad different, a little bit more happened where they actually captured Darby, I guess. It's the same. We're going to advertise this big interview with Sting and then Sting's not going to talk and Team Taz is gonna, going to appear on the screen. It's the same. Three quarters of it is exactly the same. And usually the fourth quarter is also the same. In this case, it was slightly different. But. Holy shit, this is boring. I am bored to tears with Sting. I hope this match at Revolution in a few weeks is good, but I don't have belief it will be. Um, And honestly, once this is done, what the hell do they do with Sting after this? I don't really have an answer. So, okay, uh, moving on. Rest of AEW Dynamite. The Young Bucks were upset at the Good Brothers for last week, but the Good Brothers were able to deflect the anger and got the Bucks amped up. So out of nowhere, the Bucks set up a match with Santana and Ortiz for the titles next week. This after Chris Jericho and MJF just became the number one contenders last week. The Good Brothers also mentioned ratings and demos like a dozen times in two minutes. There was a funny moment about them all trying to do too sweet, but Sting was nearby, uh, so they didn't want to do it because they didn't want to get him angered and have him flash back to NWO. That was pretty funny. Uh, But the logic for this whole thing was kind of lacking. Maybe it will clarify next week because no tag team title match has yet been announced for Revolution. So maybe I'm putting the cart before the horse and criticizing it, but it just felt really messy. We will see though what happens next week and maybe it clarifies. Maybe it all begins to make sense. The women's eliminator began with Thunder Rosa defeating Layla Hirsch. This was a terrific match. It was in quarter six, not quarter seven of the TV show uh, because the main event got the double commercial break and an, an extra segment. There was no option other than Rosa winning, and she beat Hirsch clean with one of her finishers. I wish there was more to chew on and talk about here. I do think it's interesting. They're doing this eliminator, and it's a huge bracket. And are they really just going to do one match per week? Because if they do, this thing is not going to end until the summer at that rate. Uh, AEW, it's not going to hurt you to put two women's matches on a single show. I don't need Pac versus Ryan Nemeth. I just don't need it. And you can put totally put another women's match on and move this thing forward a little bit. But we will talk Pac defeating Ryan Nemeth. Pac beat the ever-loving shit out of Dolph Ziggler's brother inside and out of the ring. I don't think he got any offense. Pac then hit the black arrow and the brutalizer. But Rick Knox like waited 10 seconds after Nemeth was tapping to actually call the end of the match. The guy... I don't understand why he's one of their featured referees. I just don't get it. This was a good way ultimately for Pac to get some momentum, but I just, I don't know why you're using Nemeth here. I don't know why this is on TV. I don't know, whatever. I'm not going to criticize it too much, but but Pac at least got to build off of it and looked strong. And and you ultimately want that because he hasn't been on TV very much. Jungle Boy cut a short promo on Dax Hardwood calling him a bitch. Wasn't bad, wasn't great. You know, a little bit weak. Uh, Miro cut a promo with Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford mostly recapping last week's wedding. His promo was actually pretty strong, even if the angle isn't. And the answer by Orange Cassidy and Chuck was pretty ridiculous and weak as well. I'm guessing we'll get Miro against Orange Cassidy at Revolution. And that's a good booking. I think that's a match that totally deserves to be on a pay-per-view. But man, this storyline could really use some work and it's nothing to write home about. But the match should be good. And then lastly here, we had Cody and Lee Johnson defeat Peter Avalon and Cesar Bononi. So, Johnson hit a sick corkscrew plancha, then a fisherman's neckbreaker on Avalon. He rolled up Avalon after that for the win. The Nightmare family came out to cheer him because he went 0-29 before rolling up the lowest guy on the card and finally getting the win. Johnson cut a mediocre to bad promo. This was supposed to be a showcase for him, which is fine, but it felt better placed on a dark. AEW then announced on Twitter after the match that Johnson was under contract. So I'm not sure why they used dynamite time for this. But if they were going to, the least they could have done is at the end of that segment, had Cody or Arn or someone present him with an AEW contract on television and make it a kayfabe surprise signing where you put over the best moment. The, the His promo sucked. Him signing a contract would have gotten fans behind him, kind of like what NXT did with Drake Maverick. That's what they should have put on TV. I don't know why they didn't do it. You know, look, some criticisms here at the end. Ultimately, it was a very good episode of AEW Dynamite, but it's some of those small details like that, the women's scenario, the stuff that's going on with the young bucks and and the Sting stuff where you're kind of just sitting there like, you got to button this up. You got to tighten this type of shit up. And really another good example has to do with Sammy and the camera and the voice recording and that entire scenario. If you button those things up, you tighten those things up, you're really gonna be off and running, but look, nothing's perfect. Certainly, NXT is not perfect, and WWE is far from perfect, especially Raw. But when you look at you know the AEW product, you, you you look at the greatness and and the goodness and the mediocreness, and then some of the badness, and that can occasionally taint the rest of the show. It did not in this case a very entertaining episode of AEW Dynamite for a second straight week. Good on them. So let's move over to NXT, where we do have. An absolute ton to talk about coming out of the go-home episode for NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day. But before we talk about that episode and before we do our ultimate preview for NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day, the Silver King did get the opportunity to sit down one-on-one with Tony Storm, the NXT Superstar, former NXT UK Women's Champion, and winner of the 2018 Mae Young Classic, I hope you all enjoyed this interview. And then on the other side of this interview, you can check out our NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day Ultimate Preview. Let's go. (laughs) Thrilled to welcome NXT superstar Tony Storm, who will be competing in a triple threat match against Io Shirai and Mercedes Martinez for the NXT Women's Championship this Sunday at NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day, which you can check out live on the WWE Network at 7 p.m. See, Tony, I do it for you. So you don't have to worry about any <laughs> of the promotional stuff. We just want to talk. Uh, but I love what, it. <laughs> welcome. Welcome. And thank you for taking the time. When I was preparing to speak to you, I started thinking about your career and realized I've been watching you for about seven years at this point. Then wow. I come then I come to find out you're still only 25 and started wrestling like six or seven years before I even knew you existed. When uh, before <laughs> stardom, which is where I first saw you. When did you actually first step in a ring? And how did you convince your mom to let you start so young?
1: Oh, so I was uh, I was 13. um, And I found out there was a wrestling training place, like right around the corner from me. And they were letting in like people train from 12 years and onwards. I'm not sure how illegal that is or how dangerous. that
0: is. It (laughs) doesn't seem like it's regular, right?
1: No, Totally like weird. But I, nonetheless, I, I wasn't letting anything stop me and I was going to go. And I think my mom, by that point, was just happy that I wasn't doing bad stuff on the streets and doing bad kids stuff. So I think she was just happy by then. That when, like, when I first got into wrestling, she was like, oh, my God, no. Um, but, yeah, by then she was like, yeah, uh, focus on this. Don't do drugs. Stay in school. You know, right. one of those moms. So she was kind of happy. <laughs>
0: were, were there a lot of other kids there worth, with you or were you leveling up? Were you fighting 16, 17, 18 year olds?
1: Yeah. So it, it was kind of weird. There was like other 13 year olds and then there was like people in their thirties that would, right. were wrestling. Like it was, it was a total mix, but it was a very cool like kind of family atmosphere where we all did wrestling together. And uh, it was cool. I look back on it with very fond memories. It, it's crazy to me. I was thinking the other day that the, the people that I was, that were there at my very first training session, I'm still friends with now and it, it's, it's yeah, I'm I'm glad that I got to start that young. I mean, I, I probably hasn't done me many favors physically on like mm-hmm. my spine and stuff, but at the same time, like I'm glad I I got that experience. I'm glad I got to do that. It's really unique and yeah, I did I didn't realize how cool it was at the time. <laughs>
0: I feel like it almost jump started you a little bit because you're forced to operate at a higher level than you otherwise would. Is that fair? Yeah.
1: yeah um when I when I first started, obviously like, it was a very small promotion. Um like everyone that'd been there hadn't really like done all that much but we were just kind of doing what we can and doing what we thought wrestling was mm-hmm. uh but like in in some ways like uh I was taught a lot of stuff the wrong way for my I was there for 2 years the first company I ever worked for mm-hmm. and uh, I was taught totally wrong and then I had to go away and relearn and I knew what I was doing was wrong so that's where I would get a part-time job and I would save up and I would go to a different city where there would be people that knew what they were doing. And I wanted to get better training. Um, and it, I guess it all paid off, but it was, it, you got to start somewhere. And so, I feel like it was a cool start for me.
0: My assumption is you never went to college university, whatever you call it. At what point did you determine that wrestling was it for you? Was it when you moved to England? Was it before that? Like, when did you say, no, this is what I'm doing. It's all I really care about. And I'm just going to go all in.
1: To be honest, I was like ten years old when I oh, saw right it. Oh, right away! Yeah, right away. There was okay. uh, it's it's strange. Like a lot of people will say that, like, oh, it was the first time I saw it. I knew it's like th- I really did. I really didn't know from that moment forward that I was like, this is what I'm gonna do. This is my calling in life, and I'm gonna do everything I damn well can to get there. Um, but yeah, I, I, to be honest, I, I went to I went to college for about a year, and I was doing pretty oh, well. I was just wrestling on the weekends, and then finally, um, I. I I was just meant to go uh, to England over the holiday, over the like vacation period just to, I just wanted to train and see what it was like. And I knew, I knew there was a lot of good training schools there. So I was like, oh my God, let's go. So uh, I, I was met, originally meant to go for like a couple of months, but I ended up spending about seven years there. So um, it was it was crazy. And I, I learned from all the best people in, in the UK. So what,
0: what's crazy is that, You didn't just go to England, which I think is a move a lot of people make, English speaking people, because it's a good wrestling scene. It's not necessarily the United States yet. Maybe you possibly feel, hey, I need need a little bit more seasoning before I get there. But you've wrestled in like over a dozen countries and you did it at a young age. You were in Japan and I think Germany, if if memory serves, and and other places throughout Europe. How? I mean, I'm not someone who at least and maybe this is just me, but I don't take those leaps that often. Right. To just pick up and go, especially to a place where I don't speak the language, how difficult was that for you? Or was it not difficult at all? And you were just so motivated and passionate that you saw, let's say stardom. And you're like, that's where I need to be. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to be there.
1: It Honestly, like looking back to when I was like 18, 19, 20, like, I don't know. I had so much confidence. Like I was so courageous, which was crazy because I was such a shy kid. I was Mm -hmm. such a weird, awkward teenager. And I, I had no confidence. I had just crazy anxiety problems. I was, I was just so like, yeah, I didn't like leaving the house at one point, and then one day I was just like, "I'm going to England," and then from there came like, oh, I, it would randomly be like, I'd be booked in, say, Italy or Spain, and then eventually I got offered Japan, and I, I lived in Germany for a few months, and and I lived in the academy there, and would just train every single day with Walter. <laughs> you know, like it right. was it yeah. was a crazy yeah. time, and then uh, I got the opportunity to go to Japan for three months, and I I just went and. I, I was terrified going because I had, I had been to Japan before when I was like 17 and I I didn't have the best experience. But then when I went back after a while, I was like, this is crazy. This is a wild place. I'm learning so much. I, I think one of my first opponents was Io when I went out there. Um, and it just, it made, it molded me into who I am today. And I got, and because of it, I've got all these crazy memories, all these crazy stories, like a lot of good stuff came from all these random places that I got to travel to and, uh, the, the weirdest thing about it was I, I didn't have a stable home life for so many years because I I, I never stayed in one place long enough to create like a, a home. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of strange that I did all that for so long. And now I'm just, I'm in America now and I've got a, I got a place and I'm grounded and I'm situated. It's, it's, Totally crazy to me. I guess this is adulthood. I don't just fly around and do crazy stuff anymore. <laughs> yeah, usually
0: just go home at the end of the day, usually is what happens. Yeah,
1: it's really weird to do a show and go home. I, I haven't had much experience doing that. I was always like, oh, okay, I'm going to do the show and now I'm just going to go back to this random hotel in Taiwan. And uh, now I'm in Germany and now I'm here. And it's it was crazy and it was yeah. wild. And I made a, I had a great time doing it and I'm glad I got to do it because I, I feel well-rounded in my ability, like I can – like, I'm, I'm lucky that I got to learn so many different styles.
0: Do you ever look at, back at that time? And look, look, we're saying look back like it was like 20 years ago. It wasn't. It's just happened <laughs> a couple of years ago. From you, right? Yeah, it's but so wild. D- do you ever look back at that and kind of think, like, all of these women I was wrestling, beating for titles, losing titles to, et cetera, these are some of the biggest names in women's wrestling right now. A lot of them are in NXT. There's others still in stardom and, and other promotions as well. But you're, you're fighting Io Shirai and Candice LeRae not before a lot of people knew them, but I'd say before Westerners knew them and yeah. maybe even a couple people in the United Kingdom knew them. And do you ever kind of just, whether it's talking to them, like reminiscing with Candace or, or EO or whatever, do you ever just kind of sit there and say, this is wild. What has happened in the last three or four years?
1: All the time. And it feel it does, it feels like 20 years ago because like so much has happened since like all that Stuff it it is crazy. Like there's um so many girls that I lived with in Japan because we would all the all the foreigners would be put in like one apartment building. We would all like live together. I mean I've lived with Shayna Baszler like all the like (laughs) so many people like so many like different people and and then all of a sudden you're backstage at the Royal Rumble or you're backstage at NXT and you're like wow like I never. It's not that I didn't think it would happen. It's just here we are and this is crazy and. It, it's cool in a lot of ways because it's like, oh, I wrestled you in Germany, and I wrestled you here, and I wrestled there, and but now we're all, here. We are even with EO. Sometimes I look at Io and I'm like, wow, like I can't believe I just I would just hang out with you in Japan. It's mind <laughs> blowing. It's mind blowing yeah. how it's all kind of come full circle, and now we're all kind of in one place. It's crazy.
0: So, so you had that first tryout with WWE, I think, back in 2014 in Melbourne. Melvin, yeah. I was told is how you say it. I need to fix
1: yeah. that. <laughs> um,
0: Murphy corrected me when I did that one time. Um, but you didn't really make your way there until 2017 with that May Young Classic. And at the time, you were still doing work from stardom. I think you still had the title or something like that at the time. What do you think you were able to improve or change or adjust over that three to four year period where you almost said to WWE, you don't have a choice anymore. You need me on your roster.
1: Yeah. I think that first tryout I did, I think I had just turned 18. Oh my God. I I was a baby. Like I was totally not ready. I knew that I I kind of, to be honest, knew going into the tryout that I wasn't going to be signed. I totally knew that, but I was still, I still wanted to go anyway and get my foot in the door somehow, but I was a baby. I still had acne. I was just, I I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) Like looking back, like I thought I had it all together, but no, I was just starting out on this journey and like it, it's, then I think I did my an, another tryout when I was like 20 in England. Um, and then it, I, I wasn't ready until I started to, um, to really branch out in the UK and do the Japan stuff. And then I felt ready to be like, okay, I can do this um, because it takes a lot to be in the WWE. To be honest, it's really um, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced. It's, you've got to be on point at all times. It's such a serious business and um yeah, I, I I had to get ready first, and it, it took a lot of growth. It took a lot of development. It took a lot of growing up. I, it took me. I had to mature to to be capable of being a part of all this. Um, but I'm I'm glad I got to I got my kids' ears. You know, like I feel like I got it all out of my system. I had my phone. and now it's like let's get down to work.
0: I feel like almost everyone from Australia or New Zealand who I've spoken to has said something a little bit similar it's like they WWE was there so rarely that when yeah. they were there you just have to get in front of them and then hope they remember yeah. you almost
1: yeah so cuz i i didn't i didn't know if i was capable or not at that age like i was i i was still such a baby like i i i, I barely knew the <laughs> alphabet you know like i was just so so fresh faced and so young and hadn't seen the world yet. And was this nervous little kid that went in and was like, hi, I want to be in the WWE. But um, like, I, I, I love that I went and did all those other things before signing because I, I just got a really unique experience. That's priceless. You know, like I've got to go and do so many things and see so many places and I'd have fun whilst doing it and learn a lot on the way. So I'm glad it all worked out the way it did.
0: So, Moving off the 2017 May Young Classic, let's talk about the 2018 May Young Classic, which is legitimately one of my favorite special events that WWE's put on. And I think a lot of people, even now with women's wrestling being really, really popular, have overlooked it a little bit because they don't realize how strong the field was and how many great women's wrestlers were in there. And then you get to the semifinals and the finals, and it's you, Io Shirai, Rhea Ripley, and Mako Setamura, who just signed with NXT UK, which is really yeah. cool. Obviously, you won the whole thing. So it's really special for you. But I've always wondered if you four were aware of how great those final three matches were.
1: Uh, I mean, it, I, I feel like it was my my best work. I, I had the best time of my life. Most stressful. Um, and I, I feel like I was just kind of thrown out into the deep end when I did all that. It was kind of like I was just just you know, just kind of getting my footwork ready. And then here I am being thrown into all these matches. But it made me better. It, it was such a great learning experience and it made me, like, step it up to a, a, another notch, you know. It was it was, it was, was great for me and I feel like it helped put me on the map. Um, and, yeah, I, I just look back on it like, wow, that was so cool. I hope they do another one because it's such a great opportunity and, and the fans get to see, like, all these women that, you know, aren't usually... Seen as much so, and and it helps. It it just it's just great for women's wrestling. It was a lot of fun.
0: Uh, I feel I'm assuming you felt the same way at Evolution. Just how unique and special that was because you've been in all women's promotions. Obviously, Stardom being the most notable, but to do that on the WWE stage, and I know there's big wrestling all over the world, but it just felt like Evolution was, you know, hopefully not a once in a lifetime event, but just so unique and special for what it was in that time
1: yeah um it it was definitely what the world needed the world needed to see that and i'm sure it's going to continue um yeah i I think it's like i i feel very grateful that i was born the year i was so that i got to experience (laughs) this women's revolution and i I get to be a part of it and it's uh, it's freaking awesome for me and in my job because like years ago like if i had been any 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 older, I, you know, I would have been stuck in an era where it was like the women didn't get much TV time mm-hmm. and they didn't get to show their skills as much as we do now. So I, I'm just I'm lucky and I'm grateful and I, I'm hashtag blessed that <laughs> <laughs> I, got, you know, I get to be a part of this era because it's it's the greatest.
0: You mentioned that you're finally settled in the United States. And obviously you were you had this long break, I think it was eight months or so due to the pandemic, where you couldn't get over travel issues, so on and so forth. Now that you are somewhat settled, I think it's, what, three months? It's probably weird for you. Um, What adjustments have you had to make to the United States or to being in NXT in the United States that are just different? Not so much from the the eight months before, but the rest of your wrestling career or your life.
1: Oh it, the whole experience has been so wild to me because at least like when I first moved to the UK I kind of knew what I was in for and I kind of had an idea of how it would go and but out here it's like I've started from scratch all over again and as much as I needed that it is kind of, it, it's been scary like to just pick up and leave to a, a foreign country and, and the whole time I'm thinking, well, it's, it's American. I've been before and we all speak English. So it'll be fine. But then I get here and I realize how different things really are. And I, Oh, cool. I got to drive on the other side and I got to like, you know, it's just, it's crazy, but, um, it's, it's, I feel like if you get out of your comfort zone, that's where things start to really happen and good things will come from being out of, yeah, out of your comfort zone. Um, so yeah, it's a huge adjustment, but I'm finally starting to feel like a normal person. Oh, that's
0: good. <laughs> I'll, I'll get you out of here on this. This is something I've always wanted to ask you. And look, you probably have been asked this before. I've just never seen the answer. Where did the where did the eye black under one eye come from? Like what why did you do it? Why is it still there? Like is it significant or is it representing something? I've just always been curious.
1: So I'm like a massive Motley Crue fan. Okay. Like a, yeah, you know, Motley Crue 80s. Yep. 80s glam. Uh my favorite and he always has been from Motley Crue is Nikki Sixx and he always he wore the double Right. Thing under there. But like one day in Japan, I was like, I'd be cool if I just did the one and it just kind of stuck. And I just feel like it's something that people can like, they look at that and that's part of my identification, you know? And like, it's, it's different, it's unique, and it's representing something that I, I love. Like Motley Crue was my first love, <laughs> you know, aside from wrestling. So um, yeah, it's my warping.
0: <laughs> well, it's funny because yeah, Motley, he does that. Nikki Six does both. Nelly in the United States, the rapper for a while, wore a Band-Aid under one eye. So I'm like, I know she loves glam rock. Is this a rock thing or does she love Nelly, but she didn't want to use a Band-Aid because it would fall off? So I I just (laughs) always had to know the answer to that question.
1: Yeah, definitely not Nelly. I'm I'm definitely just like a crazy Motley Crue fan. And I just kind of want to carry on that style, that, that aesthetic that they had because I think it's just awesome. I think 1986 Motley Crue was the coolest thing of all time. They're just such, just a group of cool dudes that I just, I just think look awesome. So I was like, well, I need I need my own look. And when I was coming up with how I wanted to portray myself, I figured let's look somewhat like Motley Crue.
0: <laughs> well, they're cool dudes. You're a cool chick. And we can watch Io Shirai <laughs> coming up this Sunday on WWE Network, 7 p.m. Eastern. It's NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day. You'll see here go up against Io Shirai and Mercedes Martinez for the NXT Women's Championship. Tony, appreciate the time. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much. That was awesome.
0: Thanks again to Tony Storm for joining me. I thought that was a lot of fun uh, to interview her. We had a great conversation. I hope you all enjoyed listening to it as well. It's very difficult not to root for someone like Tony Storm. 25 years old. She's wrestled in anywhere from, I think, 12 to 15 countries at this point. Almost every major women's promotion that's existed. I mean, the fact that she was in stardom and then came over to NXT after that, just like Io Shirai and, and, and Kyrie Sane and Asuka, and you have Tony Storm accomplishing all this stuff, and she's only 25 years old. We always talk about Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair having exceedingly high ceilings. Tony Storm is right there with both of them. I wish her a ton of success, and I once again thank her for taking the time to speak with me. But with that, we are going to move into our NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day Ultimate Preview. We do have a couple of straggling items coming out of the NXT Go Home Show that we'll talk about before we get into the preview itself. Scarlett was showing a lot of leg sitting on a desk in William Regal's office acting all sultry. That's the most action I've had all year. She suggested Karrion Cross versus Santos Escobar next week and Regal agreed but asked her to leave. So, they're actually pulling the trigger on this. Escobar later in the show said he was ready for Cross and suggested Legado del Fantasma pay him a visit. Legado was later shown that they were beaten to a pulp as Cross grabbed the camera and said the same would happen to Escobar next week. I love that Escobar is leveling up. We've talked about this extensively on this show. He should not be in the Cruiserweight title picture. He should be in the mid card to upper mid card to maybe even main event on NXT at this point. But it's going to be tough to see a champion. Get beat by Cross. Hopefully, this is a legit long match and they don't just squash him or anything like that. I have enough belief and trust in NXT that they won't, but it is still Cross and we know that he's being built strong. That should be a really big NXT television match next week. A good, you know, good that they're promoting it a week in advance, and I personally am excited to see it. Cameron Grimes came back for the first time, I think, since December, and he went straight to the moon. Grimes drove up in the parking lot in a Lamborghini, I think it was. It was either that or a Ferrari. I think it was Lambo. He was in a suit with no shirt, wearing glasses, a nice watch, and had a huge stack of cash that he was handing out. They played off Grimes' to-the-moon slogan by having him suddenly becoming rich, investing in GME, GameStop stock, and Dogecoin, and becoming super rich. It was so smart and fitting to do this with Grimes. He sold it really well almost like a hillbilly Ric Flair. It's a nice tweak to his gimmick. This is a guy who on the indies, a lot of people thought didn't have a lot of personality. Not only has he found a lot of it with Cameron Grimes, but now he's getting a new level to act as this rich, almost like Beverly Hillbilly type of gimmick where he can do something a little bit different. I'm excited about it. It's playing into you know modern news. With GME and DojaCoin and all that type of stuff in the stock market. So let's go. Let's. Go. I'm very excited to see what they do here. Zaya uh, Lee beat the hell out of a jobber. Caden Carter and Casey Cantazaro came down before the match, but Boa held them off. Zaya Lee hit trouble in paradise. I say that because they still haven't given her finisher a name uh, to beat the unnamed woman in under a minute. They're just not giving these jobbers names. When Lee attacked post match, the Caseys jumped on the ring apron to try to talk her down. Presumably because they all used to be friends, and they kind of showed that on television previously. Carter approached the Tian Sha leader and demanded answers, so Lee tossed her off the stage. Lee apologized to that leader, and Boa tried to play Peacemaker, but the woman choked him, so Lee went over to Casey and hit her finisher on Casey. I remain intrigued by the new gimmick. This was a little bit rough and a little bit too campy for me. The rest of it has been really strong, so we'll see what they go Uh, forward with regarding the storyline. Imperium got a black and white video package where all four of the guys were promoted, but Walter was not shown on screen in a speaking role. I'm not sure what the plan here is exactly. He is still the NXT UK champion. Three fourths of his faction are in the United States. Are they flying back and forth? Is that even possible due to COVID-19? I'm not exactly sure where this is all going and why they want Imperium in the US. But they've rebuilt the tag team division a little bit in NXT where it's starting to grow. They formulated some new teams. The grizzled young veterans are already over. I don't really see a need for Imperium in NXT US, at least not at this time. So if I was booking, I'd keep them over in UK. But maybe there's a reason I don't know about or don't understand. And maybe we will figure that out down the stretch here. Now let's actually get into the NXT Takeover Vengeance Day Ultimate Preview, a very very strong card. NXT did something cool at the end of the show Wednesday night where they spent the final three minutes of TV time promoting the TakeOver card with all the competitors going face to face. It was a great way to promote TakeOver, but NXT did not feature any of the five competitors in their co-main events for either the women's title or the NXT title actually in segments or cutting live promos during the show. I know that... In NXT, we are conditioned to enjoy the video packages ahead of big events. That's something that worked largely when it was on the WWE network. Or if you only want to use that for one of the matches, let's say the women's match, you want to do that very special, I forget what they call it, Prime Target, I think it's called NXT Prime Target. If you want to spend your time and build that for one of the matches, let's say Finn Balor and Pete Dunne, go ahead and do it. But for the other match, let's say the Women's Triple Threat, get them on the show, get them interacting. It's a go-home show. For them to not have any of the five big names for TakeOver on the show, it's just weird decision-making to me. Are you not trying to win the ratings? Are you not trying to heavily promote your TakeOver event? Well, if you are, you need those names on your show. You should be advertising them, promoting them, and promoting that it's a go-home show for TakeOver. So I felt that they built up some of the other matches on the show that both... Dusty Classics, the North American Championship, all three of those were built up very strong on the go-home show. But the two biggest matches, you just got some very short video packages. And to me, that wasn't good enough. The women's Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic will most likely open the show. We had on NXT, Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart defeat The Way. Moon hit a great flying codebreaker on Indy Hartwell off the top rope. Candice LeRae knocked Blackheart off the ring apron with a hurricanrana to the outside and later hit a springboard moonsault on Moon, who was elevated. Blackheart got hit with the wicked stepsister and a springboard elbow drop, but Moon broke it up. Moon then flew in with the eclipse on LeRae, who was illegal, and Hartwell saved her from a flying senton from Blackheart. That meant Hartwell was the legal woman, put herself in jeopardy, sacrificed herself, and the win just to save Candice LeRae, which was a very unique Piece of booking, and you know it was it was um, purposeful because commentary called it out. So that will be interesting next week to see. Hey, does Candice criticize her? Does she thank her? You know what is that going to be like, and is that something that's going to be part of their relationship where saving Candice is more important than winning? So that'll be interesting. There was a lot of tag team offense from both of the teams in this match, which is something you don't really see from women on the main roster. LeRae is easily the most underrated women's wrestler in all of WWE at this point. I think we already knew that. Regal announced after the match during a face-to-face between the teams that the winners would get a future women's tag team title shot, which is totally necessary. There's no reason to do this tournament if the winner didn't get a title shot. I've said before, it may be best if that tag team title gets a run in NXT given the strength of the division and given the fact that WWE just is not building up its tag teams properly, or even when they do, they're not giving them opportunities or title wins. So, you know, I I do think it's gonna be interesting. That puts the finals of the Women's Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic at Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez against Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart. I do think this can go either way. And I don't have a strong prediction. It's gonna be 51-49 here. On one hand, Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez They've been a the team longer. It makes a lot of sense for them to win. Uh, they're heels and both very strong. And as of right now, despite Raquel Gonzalez beating Rhea Ripley, she's not in a number one contender spot. So why not have them win? Well, the reason I don't think they would win is because I believe Raquel Gonzalez is going to end up fighting Io Shirai for the NXT Women's Championship at some point in or around WrestleMania. And if that's going to happen, then she can't be tag team champion as well. And you do not want them to win this and then lose a tag team championship match to anyone on the main roster. So with that, I will go with Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart, the faces, winning this match, going up against eventually Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, a natural heel tag team. And you know what? I wouldn't be shocked if Moon and Blackheart actually win the titles and take them to NXT. So that's my booking. I'm gonna stick with it. The faces. Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart win the Women's Dusty Roads Tag Team Classic. Moving over to the men's side, the finals were not known at all prior to NXT. Neither team uh, had earned their spot. In the first match on the show, we had MSK against Legado Del Fantasma. Joaquin Wilde did an awesome assisted handstand springboard moonsault, then a split leg dropkick, knocking Nash Carter outside. MSK then did their crazy like standing moonsault on the ring apron with the shove. Uh, but they did it to the outside as opposed to inside the ring. Wilde did a Poison Rana after a tightrope missile dropkick by Raul Mendoza. And then Wilde jumped off Carter to do a somersault on Wesley. MSK eventually nailed their assisted elevated blockbuster for the, I guess you'd call it an upset win. This was just a fantastic match, a perfect opener for NXT. It stalled at the finish a little bit, but it delivered in a major way. MSK could probably open Every single episode of NXT, and I would totally be fine with it. They shouldn't. Uh, they, They should certainly go with bigger names that get people wanting to stay tuned. But in terms of action in ring action, you couldn't ask for a better match between these two teams. It was a ton of fun. And then in the main event of the show, you had Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher against the grizzled young veterans. This was very hard hitting and brutal, as one would expect from these four guys. Ciampa sold the neck injury, but got the hot tag, went on a big run. Zach Gibson hit a cool deadlift spinning slam. Uh, the veterans combined for a doomsday device, but Thatcher broke it up. Gibson saved James Drake from Willow's Bell, and they combined for Ticket to Mayhem on Champa for the win to advance to the finals and end an awesome main event. The AEW main event was the be- best match of the night and the better main event, but had that not happened, let's say, this would have gotten the billing because this was an incredible, hard-hitting, brutal tag team match. It was an absolute ton of fun. Unlike the women's match, this finals for the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, GYV versus MSK, it seems a little bit more obvious to me. NXT could go with the quick push for MSK, but there would be zero harm in these guys losing to GYV considering the run they have already gone on in the Dusty Cup. Grizzled Young Veterans are the team that needs to come out of this. I said it at the very beginning, as the winners, it should be a fantastic match on the pay-per-view with a great clash of styles. But if it's anyone other than Grizzled Young Veterans winning, I mean, the only other option is MSK. But if, let me put it this way, if Grizzled Young Veterans don't win, I would truly be surprised. It would be the most surprising thing on the entire card. If they don't win, they have the opportunity to be that number one main event tag team in NXT. Uh, Only Lurkin and Danny Burch to me are just placeholders. I know that would be heel versus heel, but I think you can get a face to interfere somehow. Maybe Undisputed Era interferes, helps cost them the titles. You do something like that. But Grizzled Young Veterans should win this. They should be the ex- next NXT Tag Team Champions. Uh, three more matches left. North American Championship, Johnny Gargano against Kushida. So this one got a bit convoluted, but in a good way. They told a fun story. Austin Theory announced on social media before NXT that Gargano was injured and out of takeover. Gargano on TV was in a wheelchair, acting totally pathetic with his arm in a sling. It was hysterical, and NXT fans, the ones that were in attendance, they totally came alive ragging on him. It's not a very loud crowd, but they got loud for Gargano. He demanded Regal suspend Kushida, so Regal came out and told Gargano to stop the charade because NXT medical cleared him, They had an incredible back and forth between uh, each other. Regal said Theory could stand in for Gargano and defend the title, or Gargano could forfeit it. Kushida suddenly showed up behind the way, chaos ensued, and Gargano eventually revealed that his arm was just fine. Kushida knocked him into the wheelchair, which tipped over in an incredible cell job. It was very reminiscent to Bret Hart back in, I think, like 1997. It was hysterical, great callback, and a perfect, perfect wrestling comedy segment. There was a really funny line about Johnny Gargano. He's like, I'm forced to be in the wheelchair and you know how much I hate wheels. He has really found himself as a chicken shit type of heel. The Way is a perfect group for him to be in a faction for him to lead. It was truly funny, really smart. Regal and Gargano were great together. This was an incredible segment. Maybe one of the best segments across any show that we've seen this year so far in terms of in-ring talking, stuff like that. It was really fun. Kushida then beat Austin Theory one-on-one. They worked really well together. Theory has a strong follow away slam. Kushida went on a run and put Theory in a cross arm breaker on the ring apron, so Gargano super kicked him to break the hold for the disqualification. They beat on Kushida at ringside until Theory got pulled under the ring, only for Gargano to pull Dexter Loomis out instead. Kushida put both of the way in the hoverboard lock with Gargano tapping, as Loomis put Theory in silence, setting the stage for TakeOver. Gargano backstage later cut a really passionate promo, reminding Kushida he's not only North American champion and Johnny Wrestling, but Johnny TakeOver. And Sunday, Kushida was entering his domain. That was fantastic. Gargano and Kushida has an opportunity to steal the show on Sunday. It is the number one match I am anticipating the most. And the booking... It's going to be interesting because Gargano does not really need the North American championship. But at the same time, NXT's played hot potato a little bit with it. And Gargano has basically never held a title in NXT without losing it relatively soon. And they already did the change with Leon Ruff. So are you really going to do it again? Or are you going to take the title off of him? The way I sit coming into this is... We've had so much stop and start with Kushida in NXT. You need something to elevate him. And I feel like there's a lot more heels right now who can go up against Kushida, including Gargano in a potential rematch. Then there are faces for Gargano to go up against. You could say maybe you have Gargano retain and then you have Bronson Reed take the title off of him. That's a scenario that makes a lot of sense. But if you don't have Kushida win, then what the hell is Kushida gonna do? I think it's time to give him the rub. I think it's time for Kushida to win an NXT title. And in this case, the North American Championship. So I'm going to go with Kushida getting the big dub. Gargano kind of falling back into more of a tag team role with Austin Theory. Maybe the way operates is two tag teams, one male, one female, all together in a faction. But he doesn't need the title. The way doesn't need the title. Kushida needs the title. I think we're going to get a change this Sunday. And now the co-main event. For the Women's Championship, we have Io Shirai defending in the triple threat against Toni Storm and Mercedes Martinez. All three women got video packages on the show. Martinez called Storm a little girl and said Shirai's days are numbered as champion. It was a good look for her, but nothing special. Storm criticized Martinez for sticking her nose where it didn't belong and recalled beating Shirai in the Mae Young Classic. Shirai then later said, she's way different than she was during the Mae Young Classic, so Storm won't have a chance, and Mercedes Martinez will have to keep waiting for her turn to have that career moment that she's already been waiting a couple decades to get. So, you know, there wasn't much development here. There's not a lot to sink your teeth into in terms of the go-home show. But as far as the match goes, you know, I just don't really see any scenario in which Mercedes Martinez wins. In fact, it's almost a little strange that they shoehorned both of them into a triple threat match. I personally would have preferred them go Io Shirai and Tony Storm one-on-one and then have... Io Shirai defend the title against Mercedes Martinez like two weeks ago, get that out of the way almost, and then just move on to the Tony Storm match. But it seems to me they wanted to do it this way. That way, Tony Storm gets an opportunity. Io Shirai will retain the title, but doesn't have to pin Tony Storm. That is at least my guess. All three of them are great wrestlers. I think this match is going to bang in a major way. I don't necessarily think it's going to steal the show over a Finn Balor, Pete Dunne, over a Johnny Gargano, Kushida, or really over either of the tag team matches, because both of those have a chance to be really damn good. But this has a chance to be a great match as well. Ultimately, I have Io Shirai retaining the title all the way until she faces Raquel Gonzalez, uh, you know, at whatever takeover they end up doing in or around WrestleMania weekend, that period of time, at which point I do think Io Shirai will then lose the NXT championship, but not yet. It's been a really good run for her. I don't think losing it in a triple uh, triple threat, I almost called it a triple storm, Uh, I don't think losing it in a triple threat match just makes a lot of sense for her. It's a weak way to go out. I'd prefer her to put over someone. And her putting over Raquel Gonzalez is the right booking. So with that, Tony Storm retains the title in the triple threat for the NXT Women's Championship. And that moves us to the main event, Finn Balor defending the NXT Championship against Pete Dunne. NXT aired a video package with some voiceovers ahead of the match. It was great with Balor and Dunne laying it in pretty heavy. But as I mentioned earlier, it was disappointing not to have either of them on TV. They did do the face-off at the end of the show, but that's hardly anything of significance. You want them cutting promos against each other on the air. Now, as far as the match, there's no question this is going to be incredible. I think they could have played a little bit more into the angle that Pete Dunne brought up, I believe it was last week or two weeks ago, with you know Balor kind of leaving the UK scene and going off to Japan and then going to WWE and Dunn having to pick up the slack and become that next big thing in the United Kingdom. And now he's coming to like finish the job, basically, take Balor out and really take his place at the very top of the pyramid. I kind of wish they played into it a little bit more. Again, that's another good reason why you do a segment on the Go Home Show. But as far as the match, I, I don't think Dunn is built up enough and I don't think he's been back in the United States in NXT enough where making him the champion is the right decision. You could make the argument that Balor drops the title to Dunn, that way Cross can beat Dunn for the title without Balor losing. But I'd much rather Cross just beat Balor if you're gonna do that. Because at some point, if that guy's gonna win the title again, he needs to beat someone strong. And not that Dunn's not strong, but you want him to go over your strongest dude and really build him up as an unstoppable force. The question is, if or when they do that, who the hell is the person that's going to take down Karrion Cross if he has just beat Keith Lee and then Finn Balor for the NXT title? Who the hell do you have that's going to take him down? Is it a Champa? Maybe building himself back up to that? Do you, You're not going to do Bronson Reed, I don't think. Um, that's a really difficult scenario, I think. Maybe Kyle O'Reilly or Adam Cole. You figure out a way to get one of them back to a spot where they can be the NXT champion. Kyle O'Reilly might make sense there. But I just don't see any way that we get a title change until Karrion Cross wins it back. So with that, I have to go with Finn Balor retaining the title once again in a match that just like the Gargano Kushida match really can steal the show and go into that match of the year contendership. And we've seen a couple from AEW already, certainly a few from New Japan. NXT's had a couple. I think on at this takeover, uh, people are going into it from my understanding, without a lot of belief it's going to be a banger. I don't know how. I think all five of these matches totally have an opportunity to deliver. I love the thematic uh, vengeance day that they're going with on Valentine's Day. I hope that factors into a lot of the graphics and themes that they use throughout the show, the set design, broken hearts, things like that. But I'm really looking forward to it. There's, I can't imagine a takeover not delivering. There have been some recently that haven't lived up to the expectation or the level of expectation that all the others create. But man, they never are bad. So my expectation is an A going into Sunday show. And of course, as always, you know, the Getting Over Wrestling podcast will be with you Sunday as soon as NXT TakeOver is off the air with an instant analysis episode. We always bring the heat. And yes, I will give you an extra episode this week. NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day, instant analysis, Sunday night, as soon as the show goes off the air. So we're talking a couple days from now, as of this show, we're going off the air. The Silver King is tired. It's been a long week. It's been a long episode. I hope you all enjoyed listening to the breakdown of AEW Dynamite, my interview one-on-one with Tony Storm, and our NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day Ultimate Preview. That's how we do it here. Ultimate and instant. Ultimate Preview instant analysis, every pay-per-view. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. And do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love this show. I'm going to give Randy Savage his day off. So with that, the Silver King is going to leave you with just three final comments. Bye for now.